Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Then Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and he gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to cure every disease and every sickness. And these are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, also known as Peter, and his brother Andrew and James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John and Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon, the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. As you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without payment. Give without payment. The word of God for the people of God today. Thanks be to God. God. Um, So I think, um, I suppose, the most famous of the 12 disciples is Simon Peter, who was the one who seems to have been the first to realize who Jesus actually was. He was also the one who we uh, attribute the only pun, I think, dads, you're welcome, um, only pun Jesus is on record forever having made when he said that Peter, whose name means rock in Greek, was going to be the rock that he was going to found his church on. It's not delivered well, I get it, but it was <laughs> what you got. <laughs> One particularly humorous. Um, There were also Peter's brother Andrew and Zebedee's two sons, James and John, plus um, another James and another Simon known as the Cananean. And there was Thaddeus and Bartholomew, uh, who were also among them, whoever they were, and, and Matthew, the tax collector. 
And Philip, who was from Peter's hometown of Bethsaida, and Thomas the Doubter, we know him. And finally, Judas Iscariot, of course, who, who in the garden by moonlight, we know, betrayed his friend by kissing him, and was thus the, the last human being to, to touch Jesus, except for those who did so for the purpose of inflicting pain. Those were the people Jesus started his church with. Well, as Matthew names them anyway. And we know so little about them and would give so much to know more about these people. If they weren't all of them Jews, presumably most of them were. They've had a pretty bad press over the centuries, these apostles. And by and large, they, they seem to deserve that bad press. <laughs> On the night of the arrest, for instance, not one of them so much as raised a finger to defend their friend, except for Peter, who cut the ear of the one high priest's slaves and, and, and with his sword, which was hardly would, hardly would have made matters anything but worse, right? So nobody really did anything at all. Adding to that, those who, who lived by the sword usually end up dying by the sword. That's a scripture, so um, that's not good news for Peter, which is, is a point so close to the heart of this message um, in general that we read today. But there's also another reason why they had bad press, these apostles. They, they never seem to have ever gotten any of the points that Jesus tried to make them. And if and when they did get these points, they never seem to have lived these points well in the world either, which makes them, well, which makes them us, right? Makes them you and makes them me. That is to say, the church, the early church as it was built, was made with human beings, Jesus made this church out of human beings with more or less the same mixture of cowardice and courage and intelligence and stupidity and selfishness and generosity and as any of us have in us, right? That's who Jesus made the church of. The reason he made his church out of human beings, maybe, is that human beings were all there was to make the church out of. As far as I know, human beings are all there is to make the church out of still, right? That's what we've got. I think that's a point to remember as we read the scripture today. Another thing to notice, remembering that even after Jesus made these human beings into a church. They seem to have gone right on being human beings. They didn't change at all. Like they, they actually, we don't, we, this isn't us. They actually knew Jesus as a bodily friend in their lives. They sat at his feet and they listened to him speak and they ate with him and they they traversed the countryside with Jesus, and they witnessed Jesus' miracles firsthand. 
But not even all of that turned them into heroes of this story. They didn't become heroes. They were just human beings. And they kept on being human, as they'd always been, with most of the same strengths and most of the same weaknesses, the same strengths and weaknesses that we have. And I think another thing to notice is to remember we would do well to keep in mind that, that the idea of becoming the church also was not their idea. This passage seems to say it wasn't their idea. It was Jesus' idea. It was Jesus who made them a church, this church of all human beings. And they didn't come together the way like-minded people come together to make a, a club of some kind. They didn't come together the way a group of, of men might come together to form a baseball team, or women come together to form a, a, a baseball team or a softball team. They didn't come together um, a way a, a, a group of people would come together to lobby on Capitol Hill even. They came together because Jesus called them to come together. This is like what this Greek word in this, um, in this text Ecclesia means, from which we get the word church. It means those who have been called out. And the way the original 12 were called out of fishing or, or tax collecting or running a kosher restaurant or a laundromat or whatever else they happened to be involved in at the time. Somebody appears on their doorstep speaking their name and they, they go down to open the door to see what's up with this. Sometimes, while, while it's still raining outside maybe, or the sun comes out from behind the clouds, and suddenly arching across the sky is this rainbow, which people stop doing whatever to just stare at this rainbow, and they lay down whatever sign God gave them, whatever made them lay their stuff down. They lay down their fishing nets, or they lay down their tax forms, or they lay down their golf clubs or their newspapers to gaze at the sky because of what is happening here is so marvelous that they can't help themselves but just, just be called out of whatever they're doing to be a part of it. Something like that, I think, is the way those 12 men, Matthew names, must have been called out to become a church, plus Mary and Martha and Joanna and all the other women and men who one way or another became part of this church too. One way or another, Christ called them, and that's how it happened. They saw the marvel of God arch across the grayness of their lives. And they heard a voice calling their names, and so they go. Matthew, the tax collector, and Thomas, the doubter, and Peter, the rock, and Judas, Iscariot, and Mary Magdalene, and Lazarus's sister Martha. And they become this family. So I think maybe that's somewhere to begin as well. This church becomes this family. Because that's what Jesus has called us to be as the church. Our happiness is all mixed up with each other's happiness and our peace is mixed up with each other's peace and our own happiness and our own peace can never be complete 
until we find some way of sharing it with these other people with us. Jesus calls us to show this this truth and live this truth into the world, to to kind of let it roll into the world. Be the light of the world, he says, and bring out of the the true flavor of what it is to be truly alive. Be the salt of the earth and be truly alive. Be life givers to others. That's what Jesus tells the disciples to be. That's what Jesus tells the church to be, tells us to be to love each other and to heal the sick and to raise the dead and to cleanse lepers and to cast out demons. And that's, that's what loving each other means. You're to be a family. If the church is doing things like that, then it's, it is being Jesus. It's being who Jesus told us to be. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. That is the work he sets us forth to do. He calls us out of something to set us forth to do that. And we are so human In other words, if we're human, then we are called into this act of healing humans, right? This act of healing that which is ordinary, like we are ordinary. And so when we get to this question today of what the church is for, I think Matthew would say through this, through all those things we saw on that screen, that the church is for healing, that we are you might have heard me say before, little band-aids. We're to be little band-aids on a broken world. To be healers. That means, of course, that we are also to first be healed. Because God knows you and I are in such need of healing, as anybody else is. And that the church also has some need to be healed. Because, gosh, isn't the church in need of healing like, like every institution is? right? Neurotic anxiety happens to be um, a a particular demon that um, infects the church, and this floating sense of doom seems to be this other demon that that infects the church, and, and, and a sense that we have to preserve life for ourselves, and that God's favor for us makes other people have have, must, must have less favor from God. It infects the church, and it becomes another demon, and Jesus is calling us to be healers and to cast that stuff out, right? Um, I, um, today, just came from um, the Virginia Annual Conference, uh, and I haven't actually talked about this in a while. We haven't talked about where the United Methodist Church is, what's going on, um, mainly because for quite some time we haven't maybe had all the answers about that. COVID really injected a lot of just uncertainty about where the United Methodist Church is in regards to all the things that we were talking about in 2019. Um, and so um, I wanted to invite for the first time, this is something that kind of most churches do, but wanted for the first time to invite our annual conference delegate who just went Christian, who just went to this conference, I wanted him to come share with you a bit about what happens at annual conference and what specifically, what is the healing work that's currently taking place in the church, okay? So I want you all to hear from him today. Okay, so like Michelle was saying, we just went to annual conference and I thought a, we thought a good place to start for this discussion is what is annual conference? So the annual conference is kind of the polity structure for the Methodist Church, which is divided globally into central conferences and jurisdictional conferences. 
which the central conferences might be changing. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, but central conferences are other places globally, and then the United States is in five jurisdictional conferences. We're in the Southeast and within the Southeast jurisdictional, jurisdictional conference, the Virginia conference is the largest. Not all conferences are a state. Some are multiple conferences and with, within one state. Some are multiple states within one conference. Virginia is just, we're Virginia. Uh, so at annual conference, uh, I think Michelle also mentioned general conference, which is an every four year event. Uh, this is where decisions in the church happen, where reports uh, on the goings on in the last year or four years happen. Um, can we go back to the last slide? So at annual conference, there's equal re representation between clergy and laity. All the churches send uh, clergy and lay members. Laity is just people that are not clergy. Uh, and at the conference, the bishop kind of presides over and leads. This is exciting. We have a new bishop, Bishop Sue Halpert Johnson. There's a picture of her on the screen. Uh, she seems super wonderful. Uh, we went to a reconciling event as a band to play a few weeks ago and got to hear her give essentially an ask me anything about reconciling ministries. She is wonderful. Although we can't be perfect, her favorite gospel is Luke. Um, <laughs> I, just, I, I don't get it. Um, but no, she's, she's really wonderful. Uh, so can we go on to the next slide? So that's kind of what the annual conference is. What it does is it does the business of the church. So any motions that need to be voted on, uh, reports that need to be given, there are... Uh, I'm spacing right now, but there are anything that needs to be voted on by the church at large for essentially governing the church uh, happens at conference. We also hear reports from the various boards and agencies uh, for what has happened. Uh, for any of those that require a vote, we'll vote. Um, there are celebrations of life and retirement for clergy. And then the kind of last thing is the licensing, commissioning, and ordaining clergy and setting the appointments for where they're gonna be for the next period. Uh, can we go on to the next slide? So I think we're gonna have Michelle talk to you a little bit about some history before we talk about some really exciting things from this past conference. Yeah. Uh, so this is how we would bring, we would need to bring you up to speed on just some things we've actually never talked about. I've mentioned before that um, the, the United Methodist Church is global in nature, which, uh, which I will say, a lot of people will say, uh, the church has been through this kind of split over human sexuality before, right? The Lutherans did it and the Presbyterians did it, and the Episcopal Anglicans did it. The difference between us and them, and what makes this a wholly longer and much more um, a, a laborious task is that we um, have this beautiful thing of a global denomination, which means that we can't make these decisions stateside by ourselves. Um, but to give you a little bit of background, uh, he mentioned the central conferences are what's outside of the U.S. There's like three Afri um, African 
um, like two Asian um, and, and then um, variety in other places. Um, these conferences were formed uh, in the um, late 1800s, post-Civil um, War, um, they started to become form, formed then, post-Civil War Reconstruction time, um, and they formed out of uh, this um, scarcity mindset that, uh, and out of a real um, sense of racism, honestly, that the church was going to have to make some big have some big conversations about slavery, for instance, um, segregation, uh, and they, uh, the United States um, and predominant white world, uh, we formed these central conferences to, to say you can have your own vote on your own issues so that we can, the United Methodist um, Virginians, or um, United Methodist Americans can have our own vote on our issues. Um, and, and so these conferences were formed, they were separated from us. Um, this kind of separate but equal thing entered into the church, but it wasn't really equal because their voice, they didn't have voice about matters of segregation and slavery, and that was on purpose to protect, you know, you feel a scarcity mindset to protect the assets, the, the assets of America that made America what it is, right? So this is the, this is the history of it, uh, and which that's the, this is the, uh, the, the, hist the, the, the ancient history, that brings us into the more recent history um, to remind you of, of what are, what's happening currently um, in the United Methodist Church. In 2016, there was a general conference, and it happens every four years, this general conference, where all these central conferences will come to the same place as the jurisdictional conferences from, um, from the US. And in the room, they took a vote on human sexuality, which is an white Western world conversation taken by a global denomination, which often predominantly dominates, it dominates all of the conversation over 10 days at any general conference. What's happening in the white Western world takes up about eight out of 10 of the days of any general conference. So this comes to a vote, not understanding it comes to about a 50-50 vote globally. And everybody, I mean, it's like barely didn't pass to allow um, the change in the book of discipline. Barely didn't pass. And that scared everybody. It scared everybody and woke everybody up that we are about to have our global denomination split in half if we don't begin talking about this and doing something about it. So they called a 2019 general conference. Um, passage of the traditional plan happened. The 2019 General Conference was supposed to be just a two-day conference to talk about human sexuality in a global setting. Um, and uh, what happened was nobody prepared for it adequately. And all those with a more traditional um, view on this um, lobbied behind the scenes. Um, those who had a more progressive view did nothing. We all thought it was just going to happen because we have this beautiful uh, view of the world, right? That it's going to go in our favor, and uh, and it it didn't. In fact, it got more. It got worse. So in 2019, it got worse. Provisions for disaffiliation from the church. If anybody, whether you were progressive or whether you were um, had more traditional views, if you wanted to disaffiliate as a church, those were set out. What the church would have to pay to take its building and all those things happened at that 2019 conference. But what? ensued afterwards was two years of civil disobedience. What comes after 
when, when things get more stringent, when things get um, tougher, people decide to disobey. So the first, um, first lesbian bishop was elected in that time period. Um, uh, the um, um, clergy are, are you know, presiding over weddings more than they ever have been because this period of civil disobedience, I am, if this is what's gonna happen when we gather to have these conversations, then we're done. We are, we are um, clergy who were, um, who were uh, closeted um, began to come out in, in miraculous ways all over just to be able to say, um, hey, I'm here because of this massive act of civil disobedience. And then as a result of that, this beautiful plan of a protocol for grace and reconciliation came forth where everybody said, this, we can't live like this. And we're going to figure out a way to move forward. And you might have heard me present this plan right before 2020 um, COVID, where we said that everybody's come to the table, the progressives and the, and the conservatives. And I realize that these are all labels that are not as boxy as I'm making them. But everybody came to the table and, uh, and they created this plan to allow the conservatives to leave the denomination. Um, they would pay a particular amount of money and then they would be able to leave and start their own denomination. And then COVID happened, and the general conference we were leading up to to make all of these decisions was canceled. And in that time, um, all that money um, uh, that, to, that we were going to devote towards helping them disaffiliate has dried up because, um, well, COVID happened and the church was in distress, right? And so finally, after multiple um, cancellations and multiple reschedulings, a 2024 conference was scheduled. So that is the conference that's ahead of us. And we still sit in the traditional plan right now, which is um, harsher than it's ever been. Um, but uh, there is a, a great deal of civil disobedience speaking up against it right now. I'm gonna let Christian talk about what is ahead for 2024, which is where we get to this kind of health and healing and what the church is for. So can we go on to the next slide? Uh, <clears throat> at annual conference this year, there was a presentation given by some of our conference's delegates to go to general conference next year about what's called the Christmas Covenant. Uh, and they were seeking, a, by vote, an endorsement of whatever they discern related to the Christmas Covenant, uh, knowing that our entire delegation is unanimously in support of this Christmas Covenant. Again, I'll talk about what it is in just a second. Uh, and there was a little bit of discussion. Uh, realized a lot of people in the room didn't know a lot about it, so we were allowed to push the vote by a day and go read up. And in that interceding evening, uh, Michelle and I were both reading about the plan, and it's, I think it's pretty special. So part of why it's special is this plan was written in, it's called the Christmas Covenant because it was written in the 2019 Christmas season. Uh, and it was brought forward predominantly by people in the United Methodist Church from other places of the world. This is not a US-centric idea. Uh, it came from uh, Africa, Europe, the Philippines, and we're learning about it. And so I think it's really special that it's not again, the U.S. doing our own thing and the rest of the world just kind of like, yeah, come along, come along, we'll, we got this. Uh, so what it is, 
is replacing all of the central conferences with regional conferences, and the United States will also be in regional conferences. So along with that, we're going to create five new Episcopal areas in Africa. An Episcopal area is an area under a bishop, so Africa would have five new bishops, um, kind of more localized sections of the church. Uh, and this is allowing for contextualization within those regional conferences. So we will still be a global church. We will be in partnership together. We will support mission uh, around the world. But within each uh, regional conference, we can have our own contexts, our own, if necessary, adaptations of the Book of Discipline. And within these regional conferences, we're not going to spend two days of general conference with the world talking about United States uh, pension plans that don't matter to the rest of the world at all. Uh, that happened. Uh, and so this contextualization means no regional conference can impose on any other. Uh, we are still globally uh, being the light of Christ to the world. We are working together, but it allows us to coexist and have different things that matter to different parts of the world at different times. Uh, can we go on to the next slide? That's the last one. Okay. So to wrap that up, um, I think that 2024, we, I mean, I talked in the beginning about how complicated this is when you're in a global, um, a global structure and why every time you come to, to a global conference, nothing gets accomplished um, because it's white Western central, like centric um, in its conversation. And then uh, also a global context makes it so that uh, you're, having you're having people vote on things that is just so irrelevant to their context, right? Um, so instead, in 2024, believe that the conference is going to be significantly about this regionalization so that then, once we are our own regional conference, we can hold a 2025 U.S. conference to begin to change the Book of Discipline for our, for our context. So that um, the current wording in the Book of Discipline um, is, um, is, is not pro-LGBTQ. It's not. Um, and so for us to be able to, to, to write words that, that make, um, th that speak to the beloved community, uh, the beloved queer community and how they are a part of the church and what that means for ordination and what that means for marriage and all that. We begin to write those words. Um, the other thing that is happening actively is that churches are disaffiliating all across the U.S., which by the time churches disaffiliate to join other more conservative denominations, we will actually have a, 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 a majority of people willing to have this conversation in our own region in 2025. So it's a slow moving process, but I think as Christian expressed, there is something that is wholly way more healing about this, way more what the church is for, this hope and healing for the world, than what the original plan was, which was completely written by the US, and then we asked people to join us on the, on the, on the journey, right? This does a work of, of reparations that goes back to, um, to reconstruction, right? 
this, there's something about this that is beautiful, not just about uh, as it relates to reconciliation and the and the, um, with with the LGBTQ community, but re rep like reconciliation across what we have done through our denomination in a colonialist and um, um, through slavery and through um, and through separate separate but equal what we've done to persons of color um, through this as well. So, so I'm I'm super encouraged, and yeah, I think the the last thing I want to say is when we did vote on this. Uh, there were discussions, there were a couple of people that spoke against, a lot of people that spoke for. Uh, there was one question that came out of that right kind of at a unfortunate time in the procedure because the question was called, meaning the next thing we do is vote kind of as this question was asked, but I think it's important to put in everyone's heads. Uh, if you are a progressive congregation in Africa how does this plan address you? And if you are a conservative congregation in the United States, how does this plan address you? So there are still questions uh, that need to be answered and addressed. But when we took the vote uh, to endorse the delegation's uh, handling of this plan, it passed overwhelmingly. It did, yeah, passed overwhelmingly. Um, uh, what a, a beautiful vision of um, what the church can be um, if it is um, healed first itself and then begins to work towards healing um, healing the world right um, let's pray God thank you so much for what you are doing um, through our church um, what you are doing not in our time um, not in our time not in God we would love uh, for um, this to be all wrapped up as fast as possible and we can so often in a church like this um, get really impatient because it seems so obvious to us what your intended plan is based out of a, a, an understanding of, of, of who and how you love but um, we're grateful that we're a part of the work of being healed and that healing is um, nothing worth doing is ever, is ever easy, right? Healing is this hard <laughs> process. That's why physical therapy hurts. <laughs> that's, um, that's why doctors aren't pleasant. <laughs> but they're, they're for our good. And so um, we submit God to being a part of a process that can do more good in the world, that can, that can be the, the band-aid on a broken world um, but the Band-Aid with, with also the right ointment with, that will actually heal and, and not just be a cover-up, right? And so, God, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing through, through the church and what you're doing in us so that we might be healed to heal others. We pray this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. I know that um, Christian presented this in a way that was, um, you know, it's as often as, it's as, as easy as we can do it within a sermon. We didn't do it during announcements because we knew it would take more time than that. Um, but uh, it's as much as we can give you during a sermon like this. We want you, though, to know what this is about. 
um, and, to, and for you to really understand why we love it and why almost every conference in the United Methodist Church is endorsing it right now going forward towards 2024. I have posted the link to the Christmas Covenant website that has FAQs and everything you need to, um, to read. It is in the app right now. So if you go under Sunday Worship, there is a link there to go to the website and you can read everything about what, the, there's FAQs, you can read everything about what they expect to happen, what they're still waiting to find out to happen, all of that, um, who endorsed it, um, why it matters. And so um, I, I commend that to you as people who are thoughtful um, and would love to read more. Yeah.